What is up? What is up, everybody? This is Carmine Davis, and you are now tuned in and listening to the Carmine Davis Show. What you doing? Ciao. Um, I am still in Atlanta, waiting for the roof to get done and coming. It has been fun here in Atlanta. I just like everything being so close, being around people who look like me. <laughs> getting my own stomping grounds going when I first moved here to Atlanta me and my best friend Sinclair we were going you know we went to we went everywhere and now we're so close together now you know so it's it actually has been a a big blessing but I do miss the lake I miss our backyard I miss my bed um but shout out to the host I forget her name (laughs) who is currently getting me this beautiful home here in Atlanta. That's this beautiful home in Atlanta. And I, I really do appreciate that with all the dogs and all of that and our craziness. But anyway, you didn't come here for that. Um, mash the follow, subscribe, make sure you rate and review this podcast. I see y'all still give me the five star. I appreciate that. I love y'all. Thank you so much for sharing this podcast and sharing the love. Um, our followers are up every week. It's it's a beautiful thing. I really do appreciate everyone. Um, let's get into the show. We always start off with the hot topic. And this, I want to switch gears because I don't want to be that podcast, like a male, black male bash or a male bashing show. I'm equal opportunist. Opportunist. Okay, we're going to talk about Shonda Rhimes. And if you don't know anything about what's going on with Shonda Rhimes, um, just a, a quick backstory on Shonda Rhimes, just in case I don't know if you could actually be a fan of the show and not know who Shonda Rhimes is. She's kind of important. She's a role model of mine. Um, I look up to her, but I got a bone to kind of pick with her. I'm not going front, <laughs> but a little backstory on Shonda Rhimes. Um, if you've know any of the shows like Scandal, How to Get Get Away with Murder, um, you're familiar with Shonda Rhimes's work. I think she did Grey's Anatomy. She's that girl. She's that girl. She's an American television producer, screenwriter, and author. She's best known as the showrunner, creator, head writer, and executive producer of the television musical drama, um, a medical drama, Grey's Anatomy. It's spinoff private practice, um, the political thriller series Scandal. She also um, wrote and produced um, ABC's television series Off the Map, How to Get Away with Murder, The Catch. Station 19, she is one of Time's 100 people who helped shape the world. She's a pretty big deal. And now she moved on to Netflix in a a huge kind of out of nowhere. She canceled um, Scandal. All the shows just kind of ended. I don't know if anybody really paid attention to like how to get away with murder. Everything just kind of ended. And she announced that she's doing her own show. I mean, her own thing with Netflix. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess I don't know what what I thought 
the reason why I guess I always assume as a Capricorn that the reason that she left was because of money. You know what I'm saying? Like I was like, oh, well, money. She must want more money or she wanted more control or or something like that. What would make her go to from ABC to Netflix? Well, this week and today we found out why. According to lovebscott.com, shout out to lovebscott.com, Shonda Rhimes left ABC for Netflix after a $154 Disneyland ticket snub. All right, I'm going to be, I'm going to, you know, I like to start off and just deliver the facts, child, before I deliver my opinion. Um, and I read over this briefly and discussed it briefly. But I, Hopefully there'll be some details while I read this to kind of sway my opinion. Um, no much. Um, no matter how much time you've spent together or how much money you have in the bank, sometimes the end of a relationship comes down to a matter of principle. When it comes to the relationship between Shonda Rhimes and ABC, despite a slew of successful hits over the decade, their relationship ended after Shonda Rhimes was denied a ticket to Disneyland. Three years, numerous projects, and a male copycat later, Shauna Rhimes is finally set to debut her first series for Netflix, a sexy, gossipy period drama under her lucrative development deal. And she wouldn't have it any other way. Speaking with The Hollywood Reporter about her decision to switch from her creative home for 15 years, ABC, to the streaming service, Rhimes revealed that the pace and constraints of network television had become too stringent for her life. I felt like I was dying, she explained. Like I'd been pushing the same ball up the same hill in the exact same way for a really, really long time. Her breaking point, however, didn't involve a meeting or a writer's room, even if one ABC executive was determined to drive down the price tag of her contract renegotiations. Rather, in 2017, Rhymes asked for an additional all-inclusive pass to Disneyland, one of her perks for working at the House of Mouse owned network to give her a visiting sister to get to her visiting sister. After receiving some pushback, we never do this, she was repeatedly told. Rhymes got the pass, but it failed to work when her sisters with her children and nanny arrived at the park. Rhymes proceeded to call a high ranking executive at the company to figure out the issue, but he showed no interest in giving television most prominent showrunner $154 ticket to the park don't you have enough he allegedly responded Rhymes collected herself hung up and called her lawyer with a simple directive she was going to move to Netflix and she'd find new representative if that didn't happen given that she reportedly inked a $300 million deal we'd say Rhymes made the right call Whew. Okay, so imagine losing Shauna Rhymes over a $154 ticket. We hope that executive was fired. Okay. The, of course, like I said, that drop is from lovebscott.com. You can click the link in the description to get your own kind of spiel. Read it for yourself. Um, uh... I I hear her. I get it. We all have that breaking point. I speaking from personal experience, there has been a lot of things that I you know, reading it all, I kind of I like to put myself in people's shoes. 
um, immediately I wanted to say all those people lost jobs because you didn't want $154, uh, you wanted a $154 ticket. Like you could have paid for the ticket. But I understand that the principle and sometimes things being the last straw and you're like, you know what? Fuck y'all. You know what I mean? Like I get it. Like I've, I've dealt and I've done work myself with people and they seem like no matter what you ask for, it's just like, oh, you need this again. You need water for your job. You need, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you not have enough? And these are things that you promised me that I would have to do this job or to do this, do this gig or work this shift. Like, and sometimes it's the final straw. It's not about the money. You get tired of being told. But or ugh, or being met with like, you're the biggest showrunner on TV. So. I don't know. I just don't understand why so many people had to. Have to work someplace else or not work on another show anymore. Shows got canceled because of. Um, this decision, like people have to find new jobs and I'm sure they went with Shonda, but are they, I don't know, like the details of everybody's contract and everything like that. Like, did they, do they ABC paying you uh, compared to Netflix? ABC gives you a job as long as you are producing numbers, you're going to have a job at Netflix. You have a three to four season life shelf life. I don't know. I, I I just thought that that was really. My first reaction was sort of like, for real, <laughs> you know, a hundred and fifty four dollar ticket. Like I would have just been I would have just paid for the ticket and gotten it recouped. Find some way for them to pay it back. I would have thrown so much shade at the ABC, like the press conferences. And I would have made that person eat shit, you know, but I like to. I don't know, but she said the restraints and all that. I don't know how I feel about this one. But, you know, I, if she's comfortable at Netflix, I just cannot imagine going from ABC to Netflix. Like, I get $300 million is nothing to sneeze at. But what about everybody that you worked with? You know what I mean? Like, Shonda Rhimes is a big deal. But you as a leader, you're the showrunner. Like, what about the people that you work with? Maybe they were getting kicked back too. I don't know. I, I over a hundred and fifty-four dollar tickets. Like sometimes I think I just would. I probably would have just definitely made everybody eat my shit. <laughs> like y'all would have wished that y'all would give me that hundred fifty-four dollars when y'all start. I would have got a charge back on something. Like I would have made them pay for that. I just would not have just that would not have been the final straw for me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Tweet me at Carmine Davis, um, Instagram, Carmine Davis show, Carmine Davis. Like, let me know what y'all think. I, I, we all have our, our weird. There are a lot of probably things that I've done that were my that was like my weird last straw. But I, I don't know. I, one time. I. Um, what do you say? How do you call it? I broke camp. <laughs> on a particular um, group of people that I was working with because of the gossip and the backstabbing and the cattiness and, and all of that 
and I was making really, really good money or there was a lot of good stuff going on, but it was so crippling every day. I would come in trying to work, trying to do something and make something out of nothing. And it was like, I was constantly met with some new scandal, some gossip, some lie. I felt like everybody was like in my personal life and I had no interest in theirs. Like I'm just here to do what I love to do, you know, and have fun doing it. Why does it feel like every time I come here, there's politics and gossip about my life. And that was the last straw for me, no matter how much money I was promised or how much money I was supposed to get or how souped up I had it. The last straw was like my my character being defamed constantly every damn day working with these people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but you can't compare that to $154 Disneyland ticket. I don't know, but I'm not Shonda Rhimes either. I just like it's ABC. Like I get that you want to make a political movement. You're Shonda Rhimes, but it's ABC. I think that there's a lot of ways to make people pay. <laughs> You would have got that $154 back, baby. Like, if you would have talked to the right person. I'm, and you, you're Shonda Rhimes. You know, it's still a drop. You know what I mean? Like, but I mean, I, then you're Shonda Rhimes. And you are producing so much money for this network. You're basically the Disneyland of <laughs> ABC. You know what I mean? Like, you're the bringing magic to the people on the screens. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this one. I kind of, to go to Netflix, I mean, Netflix is bomb. You know, it is the future. Um, I just, to me, I don't know. I don't know, girl. You might be on your own on this one, Shonda. I don't know if that would have been my last straw. Like, I would have probably sat on that got my 153 dollars some way shit from a fashion spoke to somebody got it in a kickback a write-off or something like that and then quit about some other politics like the next time we had an issue about my show or my you know working things that had to do with my work or Anybody on my team comes to me and say that they're having issues with you guys, then it would have been that's it. But I don't know, child. And it'd it be hot at Disneyland. I've never been actually. I want to actually go on a date, but I've I've never been to Disneyland or Disney World. But I know it's hot at Six Flags, and I bet you it it'd be enough for me to snap too. You got the kids and everybody together you got you go up there and try to use this little pass and and it don't work and you know that's frustrating you sitting over here looking crazy like you ain't Shonda Rhimes like I don't know girl (laughs) I hear you Shonda I support you do what you got to do what was you know it didn't mean nothing to you but I'm thinking about everybody as a Capricorn as a leader or as a boss I would always think about everyone you know me first my self-care first i would make sure my ends were you know meeting first but i would also have to these are people with jobs that have been working with you for 15 years and now you're picking up and going to netflix because of a 153 dollar ticket to disneyland that people never are able to afford to go to and 
their life. When I was growing up, we couldn't afford Disneyland, let alone some free passes. Girl, you got $350. And you're an example. You were a statement. You were, you being there was an example. There were so many other black women and black men that were coming in after you because of you being there. Now they're wondering if, shit, you know, she left because of a ticket. I don't know. Who was supposed to be her male copycat? Let's see. Oh, Ryan Murphy. <laughs> oh, that's mean. Apparently, Ryan Murphy is supposed to be her little male copycat. Hmm. I can see that though. Ryan Murphy's a is is a big deal. He might be up next. But anyway, what do y'all think about that again? Tweet me, Carmine Davis, Carmine Davis Show on Instagram. Let me know what y'all think about that. But anyway, we're gonna keep it moving. If you are just tuning into the show for whatever reason, the middle segment is always my favorite middle segment. I mean my favorite segment. We it's the artist spotlight and we talk about musicians, um, artists and concepts last week we talked about the blockbuster album and how it's dying nobody's selling like they used to anymore nobody really cares about an album we just nitpick at it piece by piece by piece by piece but i want to talk <sighs> this is tough I, something has been on my mind there's something on my mind Will somebody please Please tell me what's wrong. I, I, Gwen Stefani appropriates a lot of culture, and I, I want to give her a pass. I want to give Gwen Stefani a pass. I okay, let's. Let's bring it back. Okay, so I was in the middle of doing something and it had dawned on me. My girl has been problematic her whole career and she gets away with it and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> and I Googled it to kind of get some... um information on it and it's the first thing that came up a vice article wrote sally gwen stefani has been problematic this whole time and that is the truth a lot of things that gwen has done throughout her career have been very questionable um not just her legacy of cultural appropriation but even some stuff she's done in her like personal life that are not kind of cool that a lot of people have gotten canceled for and Gwen Stefani has just gotten a pass and honestly I'm okay with it and I'm going to tell you why all right let me go through and give you both sides okay so the Vice article reads I didn't realize Gwen Stefani had a legacy of cultural preparation until I got older and for this I am no longer a fan well um speak for yourself Juana Thompson um, <laughs> growing up as an adolescent in the late 1990s, 
Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera dominated mainstream pop-related discussions. Their perfectly packaged music and looks appealed to tweens and teens who wanted to be like the pretty chart-topping pop stars plastered everywhere. While I indulged in the sheer fascination, Gwistafani intrigued me like no one other. Not only did Stefani have a different sound, but as the front woman of SoCal rock band, no doubt, she cultivated a look that was sweet yet rugged. As I transitioned into a young adult, my fascination with Stefani turned into criticism once I began, became old enough to grasp what was truly happening. Cultural appropriation. Lord. Okay. This week's Stefani's debut solo album, Love Angel Music Baby, celebrates its 14th anniversary. And I can't help but think that optics surrounding Stefani's early branding would be considered highly offensive by today's standards. Despite her allure and accolades, Stefani's co-option of different cultures for a white American palette goes back to the beginning of her career and must be dissected. In 1995, after putting out two albums... Through their label, Interscope, No Doubt released Tragic Kingdom. The Scott Punk album was heavily influenced by pop, rock, grunge, and reggae and solidified the band's place on the music charts with hits like Don't Speak, Spiderwebs, and Just a Girl. As lead vocalist, Stefani's fashion choices quickly became infamous. In the mid-1990s, a singer of Italian and English descent started wearing a bandini and commercialized a sticker decoration originally worn by South Asian women for religious and cultural practice. Stefani, who once dated fellow No Doubt bandmate Tony Canal, who is of Indian descent, was seen in the group's music video supporting, sporting the cultural symbol as part of her distinct look. Now, if you don't know what, you're talking, what we're talking about, we're talking about the little, the bead, the dot, the little diamond encrusted, the jewel on the um, forehead. Falling, failing to recognize and process the gravity of Stefani's actions as a youth, I continued to support the pop star and anticipated the release of her solo project without questioning her problematic aesthetic. After informally splitting with No Doubt in the early 2000s, Stefani embarked on a fascinating solo run that catapulted the singer into superstardom. In 2001, Stefani collaborated with Eve for Let Me Blow Your Mind, which earned a Grammy Award for Best Rap Song Collaboration. Deviating from her traditional rock origin, Stefani would spend the next few years experimenting with her sound and her ever-changing look. In 2005, the singer released her debut al solo album, Love Angel Music Baby, that featured significant contribution from Pharrell and collabor collaborations with rappers Eve and Andre 3000. Starting with synth pop, rock, and hip-hop, the album produced Stefani's first and only U.S. number one hit, Holla Back Girl. At this point, despite her noticeable success, Stefani's knack for cultural preparation was becoming hard to ignore. No stranger to pulling inspiration from minority cultures and repl replicating their likeness for profit, Stefani harm Stefani's harmful antics were able to evade judgment, in part because it was before cultural appropriation became a national buzzword and also because we lack today's social media platforms that ignite public conversation. Hollaback Girl was a commercial success and topped the Billboard Hot 100 for four consecutive weeks despite the album debuting at number five on the Billboard 200 and the introduction of the Harajuku Girls, four Japanese backup dancers who accompanied Stefani in videos and promotional events, became a focal point in the singer's career. The group 
made numerous appearances in Stefani's videos and ultimately became a powerful marketing tool throughout her solo run. Introducing introduced in the music video for What You Waiting For, the Harajuku girls were strategically placed in the visual whilst Gwen sings the bridge, I can't wait to go back into Japan. Get me lots of brand new fans. Osaka, Tokyo, you Harajuku girls, damn, you got some wicked style. The second single, Rich Girl, featuring Eve, showed the girls once again being used as props to push Stefani's agenda of cultural relevance. In the catchy single, she even proclaims that she sees the Harajuku girls as possessions. <laughs> I'd get me four Harajuku girls to uh uh-uh, inspire me and they'd come to my rescue. I'd dress them wicked. I'd give them names. Yeah. Love angel music, baby. Hurry up and come and save me. Child. I have never thought about that. Oh my God. Wow. But that's okay. It's got to be okay. No, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have a reason why I think it's okay. Let me continue. So in 2005, Salon article, Salon article about the Harajuku girls, writer Mihi-An says Stefani fawns over Harajuku hairstyle in her lyrics, but her appropriation of the subculture makes about as much sense as the Gap selling anarchy t-shirts. She swallowed a subversive youth culture in Japan and barfed up another image of submissive, giggling Asian women. She did do that. <laughs> hmm. Ahn also wrote notes that the Harajuku girls were reportedly contractually obligated to speak only Japanese in public, even though it's rumored they're just plain old Americans and their English is just fine. <sighs> what a mess. This is not going to help me. Okay, but I do, I do have valid points in Gwen's favor. Again, I'm going to tell you in a minute. Okay, unfortunately, her fetishization didn't stop there. The luxurious video featuring Slim Thug found Stefani transfixed by SoCal Chola influenced fashion and beauty. The video also has scenes where Stefani intentionally resembles Mexican painter Frida Kahlo. Kahlo, I'm sorry, Frida Kahlo, I know this name. While beating a series of piñatas and softly caressing herself while wearing a shirt of the religious figure, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Somewhere around 2006, when Stefani was still traveling with the Harajuku girls, I began to realize the singer's knack for cultural appropriation was a major problem. But unfortunately, it wasn't until I joined Twitter years later and became more aware of how pop culture often sucks the life from disenfranchised communities as fodder that I realized that various people shared similar thoughts about Stefani's offensive actions. When asked about the Harajuku girls in 2014, Stefani brazenly told Time that she does not regret her decision to hire and feature them. Despite intense criticism, she went on to say, there's always going to be two sides to everything. For me, everything that I did with Harajuku girls was just a pure compliment and being a fan. Seriously, that was all it was, all of it was meant out of love. It's almost as if Stefani paints a revisionist history where she sees herself as the bridge connecting American and Japanese culture instead of owning up to to exploiting Asian women for profit and notoriety. 
Despite her blunders during her solo career, Stefani has seen herself in a more controversy since her days with the Harajuku girls. In 2012, after reuniting with No Doubt, the group pulled their music video Looking Hot a day after its debut to a stereotypical portrayal of indigenous people. In 2016, the singer was in hot water after her backup dancer dressed in African-inspired pieces pulled from Valentino's Wild Africa themed spring summer 2016 collection during an episode of The Voice. Despite her missteps, Stefani has been able to maintain a thriving career without any major cancellations. In a culture where social media prides itself on putting a dent in high-profile careers, Stefani has somehow been able to remain unscathed with her without her cultural infractions being used against her. Looking back, Gwen's earnest adaptations of culture feel more like gimmicks made in an attempt to make her look more cultured than the next pop girl. What Stefani failed to understand is that co-opting entire cultures, especially as a white woman of privilege, never was an or will be okay. Okay. The crux of appropriation is not just in the stealing of one's likeness, it's also in the profiting from disenfranchised community with utter disregard. Like Fergie, Molly Cyrus, Katy Perry, Iggy Azalea, and countless other white women in pop culture that came after Stefani, cultural appropriation is nothing but a formula for success that rests upon the likeness of people of color. Co-opting cultures has tricked down, trickled down to the regular people who see no problem with wearing somebody's culture as a costume. Recently, white women who cosplay as black women on social media confirmed the idea that white women forcefully, forcefully positions Confirmed the idea that white women forcefully position themselves in cultures, races they have no business in. Yes, this is apparently a problem for famous and non-famous white women. We discuss actually the big um, side note. We discuss the rise and the quick diminishment of these white girls dressing up in blackfish, like blackfacing on social media um on the episode what episode was that on a previous episode of my show um i will link it in the description i want to say if you go to episode um fubu it was fubu um episode three we have done a lot of episodes wow that's a lot um but anyway Fubu 3 was when we discussed the social media girls blackface and uh, blackfishing. But anyway, let's continue on with this story. Okay, while a sincere apology from Stefani would be a step in the right direction as it would show growth and courage, I doubt Stefani will admit defeat anytime soon. As long as the industry continues to reward white entertainers for trying something new, Stefani's actions will go by the wayside. Luckily, I grew up built strong conscious and walked away from Stefani with or without her recompense. Okay. Points were made. Points were made. Points were made. Points were made. Vice. And read this article for yourself. I went through it. Um, but read for it yourself. Um, it's the Vice article that is in the description. And this was in 2018, by the way. So, um, Love Angel Music Baby should be 16 years old now, which is crazy. That's such a long time. Okay. Points were made. 
I do believe that Gwen Stefani was, is definitely, let's get one thing straight before I say anything. She is very guilty of cultural appropriation. She is very guilty of a cultural, she is appropriating a culture multiple times, among other things. So she did still Blake Shelton from my girl, Miranda Lambert. You know, but this is a safe space for man stillers. Home records, you have a home here. I get it. Life is complicated. <laughs> sometimes, you know, some niggas need to be rehomed. Some questions, sometimes, you know, it's not right. But let's keep it real. Let's keep it a thousand. You know what I mean? Like, it's Gwen Stefani. Now, okay, this proves my point here. While I'm listening, I'm doing this podcast, there is music playing in my ears. And it's usually around this time during when we do the artist segment, I listen to the artist. And Gwen Stefani is on shuffle. And this is going to lead me right to my point. She is singing Feliz Navidad on her Christmas album. When I say she is doing... The hell out of Feliz Navidad. Now, okay. My issue with, yes, she is, a, she is appropriating a culture, multiple cultures that she is not a part of. And my issue is, is that she has not given back to those cultures that I am aware of. I'm, I'm almost certain that she probably has given to Asian um, causes or um, Black Lives Matter. She's spoken up. I think I did see her speak up about Black Lives Matter. Um, that is always my issue is when you steal from a culture that you don't give back to. A disenfranchised um, culture that you do not give back to. When Stefani donated $1 million to the Jap Japan earthquake. Back in 2000. Remember the earthquake in 2011? She donated a million dollars to the tsunami, the earthquake and tsunami relief. Now, okay. Some would say, oh, because people throw money at situations, that means that they are excused. And that's not what I'm saying. My thing is, when had those women, yes, she had them dancing and speaking Japanese when they should. <laughs> they spoke perfect English. And that is horrible that is horrible but she loved this culture and her warped mind we also have to give ignorance it's just due when loved this culture she went to japan she loved the culture she loved the style she put on for a lot of japanese fashion artists she gave them money she gave them spotlights she name checked all of them that is my thing there are a lot. She knows the culture. She studied the culture. She speaks Japanese. She, these are called, she speaks, she's down. She has helped a lot of African-Americans. She speaks out about Black Lives Matter. She speaks about these cultures in which, yeah, she went and appropriated from, but because she has a genuine interest in those cultures and it's apparent. This is why I feel like people are not bringing her and calling her on the uh, carpet because there are artists out there. I won't name check, but there are artists out there right now who y'all are streaming up the charts who don't know anything about the R&B music that they are singing 
or a part or claim that they are a part of. They just know that it's cool. When Stefani is about what she's talking about, she knows these cultures. You've never caught her up not defending or being a part of these cultures that she appropriates. She looks out for Pharrell. These are people who she still is cool with. She worked with Pharrell on The Voice, right? Maybe not. But <laughs> these are, it's not like she's, I think sometimes people, when they appropriate culture, especially in music, it's the pick up and let down. There is one particular girl who is notorious for it. And she gives no fucks about it. And this is the one who needs to be literally, and she really hurt my feelings. And that's Miley Cyrus. I love Miley Cyrus. I believed her when she sung 23. I'm in the club, how you put the shades on? Like, I believed her. But when she turned her back and said that she had never heard of a Jay-Z song and that hip-hop culture is disgusting, that is deplorable. I, I, I think people... And this cosplay thing, um, I, I think that sometimes there is a fine line. Don't get me wrong. There are people who are in blackface right now and they are taking six or eight rings or something like that and taking it to the top. You know what I'm saying? Like they are up there and they're blackfish and they're yakky and they're Brazilian wavy. French tips, white toenails, um, and I guess that, but they don't know the culture. You give them a song by Babyface or something like that, they don't know. Gwen knows. And she is about that life. If you, to me, my big thing about what cultural appropriation is, if you're down with us, stay down with us. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you want to be a part of a, because it is cool. Japanese culture is awesome. Pharrell also was obsessed with Japanese culture. Now, I mean, did he bring four Japanese women or with him everywhere and give them names? And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, I think Gwen meant well. I think she just did something bad and she meant well. And I, she, before she brings Love Angel Music Baby back on tour with her, girl, you maybe you should think about bringing Barbara, uh, Angie, um, Ashley, and Susie with you, you know, because. <sighs> but I thought it was the moment. I thought she, I think Gwen Stefani means well. And I think that's the difference between her and the other pop girls. I think she has a genuine lust and, and love for and have a admires the beauty of the culture, not because it was cool and made her different. I think her love and fascination for the culture is what made her different. But I could be wrong. Gwen Stefani to me can come to the cookout. I love me some Gwen. You love Gwen. What do you think? Tweet me. Carmine Davis on Twitter. Instagram.com slash Carmine Davis show. Holler at me. Let me know what you think. Also, 
we're going to the final segment. Before we do that, smash the follow button. Like, subscribe, and rate this podcast. Give me a review, comment, let me know what you think. If you're just riding with, um, you know, carpooling to your job, your nine to five job at an American deli, you know, and you're like, oh, what the fuck is this nigga talking about? Like, when's the funny? Is a cultural appropriation? Or, you know, your other friend is like, nah, it ain't even that deep. Let me know what y'all think. Follow, subscribe. Let me know what y'all think. Okay. So, our last segment is always about love and relationships. And we like to tackle, um, interesting, controversial things. Sometimes most of it is just about sex. Most of the time it's about sex, but mm, I'm not going to lie to you. This time is no different. Cause I like to talk about sex. I like to talk about sex. And now I want to get into this and let everyone know that I am very fair. I try, I try to be very fair and I have kind of given my somewhat opinion on previous episodes about polyamorous relationships, but I believe they don't work for me. I I do believe that they do work for people. I have a friend that was in a polyamorous relationship. I know a few people and it works for them. And I want to kind of help remove the stigma of it. And thanks to Glamour.com, shout out to Glamour.com, we have seven polyamorous relationship myths. It's time to stop believing. Okay. And we, I think, I just think that, I I feel like there's got to be something to it. You know what I'm saying? So myth one, polyamory is mostly about having a lot of sex. It's easy to assume that the appeal of polyamory boils down to having sex with multiple people. After all, even die-hard monogamists tend to feel pangs of desire for others. It's only natural. That said, that the first thing most poly people will tell you is that they aren't into polyamory for the sex, or at least not just the sex. Although poly entails a certain openness that I haven't found in other relationship models, it's not a free-for-all fuckfest, says writer uh, Sharon Fifior. For me, it's all about cultivating meaningful, ongoing relationships with the potential for falling in love. In fact, many polyamorous people build what they see as a sort of extended support network where some, but not all, of the connections involve a sexual component. When I began my journey into polyamory, there was so much sex, so much, says sex educator and sex ed and go-go host, Dirty Lola. What I found beyond the sex were friendships, a support system, and family. Many of the relationships I formed didn't have a sexual element at all, but What they did have is the deep love and respect for one another. And finally, some people get into polyamory because they're interested in a romantic relationship without sex. There are a lot of people in the polyamorous community who identify as sexual. Says Dediker Winston, author of The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory. They find polyamory appealing because they can still have an emotional romantic relationship or multiple relationships, but their partner aren't also forced 
to be a sexual celibate or celibate. Okay. Myth two. I'm already learning something. I thought that I, I was one of those people who thought that polyamorous relationships were about having sex with multiple people. But I never thought about the community around it, I guess. Myth two, a polyamorous relationship is for people who don't want to commit. Traditional relationships moves dictate that we shouldn't spread ourselves too thin and instead direct most of our attention, affection, and love toward our significant other, one significant other. But if you've struggled to squeeze your someone into your calendar, you can probably appreciate just how complicated this could be as a number of relationships you've you're maintaining expands. This is in fact is one of the key challenges of living a polyamorous life. One that most people attempt to manage through good communication, a clear effort to balance multiple partners, needs and desires. And for the sake of practicality, shared calendars. I don't really understand. I don't really understand that one. But anyway, myth three, polyamory can never work long term because humans are jealous by nature. Sharing is hard, especially when it means giving up something that's important to you. Even so, many people assume that poly folks are above feeling jealous. They aren't. The major difference, however, is that poly people learn to respond to feelings of envy with openness and curiosity rather than shame. Hmm. Okay. A lot of us get this idea of what it's like to be the perfect poly person, which we take to mean that you will never feel jealousy and you're always perfectly happy about what your partner does. And that's not realistic, says Liz Powell. Humans are messy creatures. We have messy hearts that feel things strongly. That doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong or that you're bad at poly. It just means that you're having feelings. I think it's worth looking at those feelings and acting on what they are telling you. With four, orgies are the name of the game. In the same way that polyamory isn't all about sex, it also isn't about group sex. Sure, group sex happens in certain relationships under certain circumstances, but there are plenty of poly people who never have group sex. And those who don't necessarily have it all the time, says Paige Turner, a relationship coach and writer of the blog Polyland. Plus, even when group sex does happen, it rarely is out of control. It's not partner swapping, crush, or naked bodies we often see in porn. Most of the more intensive sexual contact happens between members of a couple. And things are typically linked between the couples by groping or kissing. Turner says, so what you are seeing is the sea of swirling bodies is actually a handful of triads or couples getting it on with an unusual partner, with their usual partner. Okay. Myth five, polyamory is for commitment phobes. Nope. Most poly people aren't poly because they're afraid of to settle down. Being one of several partners doesn't mean that my partner isn't really committed to our relationships. Or that he can't be with me, says sex writer Annabelle Bernard Foyner. He is with me all the time. We just don't live together and we're not married. Commitment is not a function of co-living. Commitment is about being there for the other person. Okay. Myth six, poly people are more at risk for an STI. Sex with a number of different partners can be risky whether you're in a polyamorous relationship or not. But polyamorists tend to play it safe, very safe. 
Okay. I've actually, I'm actually slower to jump into bed with people when, than I was when I was single and looking to date monogamously, says Turner. That's true. That's because being polyamorous forces me to be very risk aware in a way that I wasn't when it was just my health I was considering. Okay. Myth number seven, polyamory practitioners never get attached to anyone. People who practice polyamory tend to use the word abundance to describe the wealth of love, affection, and possibilities that's have, that having multiple partners tends to bring to their lives. The downside is that more love can, be, can also mean more potential for heartbreak. With much love comes much heartache. Dirty Lola says, it doesn't matter how well you communicate, how good you are at meeting partners or your own partner your own partner's needs and desires or how strong you think your connection is. Some things just aren't meant to be. Hmm. For me, monogamy was never a perfect fit or even almost perfect fit. It's like half size, too small shoe you force your foot into because it was 50% of off at Neiman Marcus last call sale. Hmm. Polyamory allows me to love on my terms, who I want, how I want, and for how long with the consent of all involved. Okay. All right. Are you polyamorous? Or what have you, has anyone ever tried a polyamorous relationship? I haven't. But I mean, I kind of get it a little bit more. I'm going to reserve my judgments for another day. But shout out to the polyamorous people who are living bravely outside the box. I. Um, couldn't do it, but I'm thankful that you do. So I won't have to. <laughs> but anyway, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening this week. Um, make sure you follow, subscribe, like, and rate this show. I will see y'all next week. Love y'all. Bye.